0: It's an assignment that I have for, uh, for later at a church up in the valley. And so the theme of that weekend that I'm preparing for is the abundant life in Christ. And the message that we're looking at right now is abound in love. Let me start by reading the uh, verses 9 and 10 of John chapter 10. Jesus says, I am the door. By me if any man enter in he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now just quickly note the sharp contrast of purpose between the thief, the devil, and Jesus Christ. The devil, the thief, comes to kill and steal and destroy. Jesus said he has come to bring life, an abundant life. What a sharp contrast. Let us think of that and remember that and allow God to work in our lives, be open to that prompting. And yes, even though sometimes it brings some pain, Yet the purpose of Jesus Christ is to bring abundant life. Abundant life. After all, abundant life comes from an abundant God. And a couple weeks ago, we began that message by thinking about our abundant God. Uh, The scripture says He abounds in goodness. He abounds in truth. He abounds in long-suffering. He abounds in kindness. He abounds in forgiveness, in grace, in mercy, in faithfulness. And the list goes on and on. The scripture speaks much about our abundant God. When God gives something, he never gives it sparingly. When God does something, he never does it just halfway. No, he's an abundant God. And I say abundant life flows from an abundant God. Dear people, when we stop and consider what we have so abundantly received, it demands an abundant response. It demands an abundant response. Uh, Truly, we have an outstanding debt to love. To love. Jesus said, Freely you have received, freely give. Freely give.
1: Give of yourself.
0: The scripture says that we are to increase and abound in love. In fact, the ultimate mark of the believer is it's love. It's love. But it truly doesn't start with us. God's love to us is our motivating factor. The love that flows through us and from us is the kind of love that finds its source and its power in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it originates. And so, in the previous message, we considered two areas of life where we must abound in love. We looked at our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and we also noted our homes. And this morning, we would like to consider two more—excuse er, me—areas. Uh, the first being in our church, and secondly, in our community. In our church and our community. You know, life is really all about loving God and loving each other. Loving God and loving each other. Uh, that is what really matters. In fact, it was this that was, that was burning on the heart of Jesus in those final days leading up to his crucifixion. Those are the things that he was talking about to his disciples. If you can read through uh, John, say chapters 13 through 17, read read in those verses and, and you find these themes coming up again and again. A love for God, a love for his word, obedience, love for your brothers and sisters. It was so very important to him. And in Matthew 22 we read this, verses 37 through 40. Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So this is number one. Love God with everything you have. And then he said, The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Loving God and loving each other. And then he said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, these are foundational to everything. Loving God and loving each other, that's foundational to everything. That's what it's all about. Everything then flows out of that. I wonder this morning what marks your life. What marks your life? One day when you're gone what will your legacy be? One day when you're gone, what will people remember about you? What will be the, yeah, the mark of your life? Loving God and loving each other. Not only is that scripture, but it also happens to be uh, the title of a song. And every time I think of that song, I think of someone. Some of, some of you would have known him, maybe some not. But every time I think of that song, I think of Paul Slayball. And for two reasons, and let me just... For those of you all who don't know, Paul Slayball uh, was one of Uncle Mark's younger brothers. But, but I, I think of him, uh, when I think of that song, when I hear that song, for two reasons... First of all, I can remember just like yesterday, uh, I was sitting upstairs, I was probably 16 or 17 years old, sitting upstairs there in our house, I was doing my homework one evening and we got the phone call that, that Paul had been killed in a, in a traffic accident and at that very moment, uh, the song that was playing across the speakers was loving God and loving each other. And you know how those things work. When, whenever, a lot of times when, we, when something traumatic happens, we can remember exactly what was happening at that moment. You know, uh, Mom talks about when the Challenger exploded. She knew exactly what she was doing. Or, or when President Kennedy was killed. Or, or 9-11. Or we all have our things. When something big happened, we can remember right what was happening at that moment. Well, at that moment when we heard that, uh, that Paul had been killed... The song that was playing was Loving God and Loving Each Other. And I remember that every time I, every time I think of that. But I also remember thinking, what a tribute to his life. Because that's also what I remember about Paul Slayball. Uh, that was real with him. Now, I didn't know him really well, but I got to know him some during the time he helped build uh, James's house. Right over here. Um, And I got to know him a little bit during that time. And and Paul was one of those people where he didn't really know a stranger. And whether he knew you or not, you sort of felt important because of to him. And he he made you feel important. He took interest in you. And for me as a young fellow, that meant something to me. Uh, But Paul and his young wife had spent some time in Jamaica, uh, serving as missionaries there. Uh, Paul went on then to be a, a pastor of a congregation up in the valley. And it was evident, at least from what I knew of Paul, that Paul had a sincere love for God and Paul cared a lot about other people. You know, there's another man who had the same first name, who after 2,000 years, uh, we still remember him for his love for God and love for others. And that is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. In every book he wrote, he had warm words of love and appreciation for the brotherhood. Now, were these congregations perfect? (laughs) Were they without problems? Not at all. In fact, some of them had some very troubling things about them. And yet Paul writes that he loved them, and he wrote that he prays for them and he thanks God for them. And and he said, I would love to see you again. Oh, my heart aches because I haven't seen you for so long. And that was the sentiment of the Apostle Paul. You see, Paul's love for the church was not dependent, you could say, on the human element. Paul's love for the church was not dependent on his brother or sister's behavior or their level of spirituality, not at all. But instead, his love and appreciation for the church was rooted in his love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of his sincere love for God came a warm love for God's people. I see that thread going all through Paul's writings. I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12. As we think this morning, first of all, about abounding in love in our church, Romans twelve has often been of interest to me, and I know the first couple of verses are especially are verses that perhaps we read often or you hear often, and I make no excuse uh, or apology for that. <laughs> it is good to hear them. I think they are foundational to the life of the disciple of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, the first two verses read this way, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now some of you school children, you can say that by memory, right? Tabby? Ian? Some of you. I've been hearing it at my house recently. That's wonderful. Keep it up. That's a good passage to memorize. But because of the awesome grace and mercy of God and that He extended salvation not just to His own people, the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, to you and me today the Apostle Paul then is urging us to respond personally with a life of surrender, a life of sacrifice, a life of service. I beg you, brothers, I beg you, sisters, in light of what God has done for you, give yourself wholly to him. I find it very interesting then that the Apostle Paul goes on to describe this service to God by showing How we should relate to our brothers and sisters in the church. How we should relate to others around us. It's interesting. And yet, at the same time, why should it be interesting? Why should that be funny? Why should that be odd? After all, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. If ye have love, One to another. I heard Brother Calvin say this just last week. As he stood here and I jotted it down because I felt it went along with this. He said, our loudest testimony to the world is not how we relate to them. But how we relate to each other. You see, our love for each other is a test of discipleship. Our love for each other is an indicator of our spiritual temperature. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And so here in Romans chapter 12, I would like for us to note some keys to abounding in love in the church. That's what we're talking about. Abounding in love. Lives that are teeming with love. (laughs) Lives that are just well supplied with love. No, and it's not natural. That's not, <laughs> that's not what comes first. But it is through Jesus Christ. And Brother Joe mentioned that this morning. Oh, power of love. All else transcending in Jesus present evermore. It's coming from Jesus Christ. And as we allow that love to, to take a hold of us and to change us and to make us more like him... It gives us a new perspective of our brothers and sisters around us. And so let's note some keys here in this passage. We must be people of humility. Verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. He implies there that when we think too highly of ourselves; We are not thinking well. We are not thinking wisely. Verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Verse 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Or in other words, be willing to associate with people In a lower position. The footnote in my Bible says, or be willing to do menial work. And then he ends by saying, be not wise in your own conceits. A humble person is willing to stoop low to meet others at their level. To meet others at their level. Jesus displayed his humility. By being willing to come down to where we are. You can read about that in Philippians chapter 2. He came down. He came down. He humbled himself. And he was not only humble in his actions. But he was also humble in his reactions. We are to learn from his example. We must be people of humility. Secondly, our love must be sincere. Look at verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Now, what does that mean? What does dissimulation mean? Well, in essence, it means love must be sincere. But when we dissimulate, we are hiding behind a false pretense, you could say. Or we are putting on a front. We are being deceitful. That's to dissimulate. Hiding behind a false front. Making ourselves look like something that we really aren't. And Paul writes, let love be sincere. Let love be real. Let love be authentic. Let it be from your heart. In fact, artificial love is no love at all. Thirdly, then, true love functions as a team member. Note verses four through six. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. And then he goes on to other things as well. But we are many. There's variety within the body of Christ, and yet we are one body. True love functions as a team member. And so with that in mind, let me mention three things. We must choose to think the best of those around us. Choose to think the best of our brothers and sisters. You know, in a church relationship, as well as a home relationship, you could say, working closely together often reveals points of weakness. As we get to know people better and better, we we note some, some weak points. And we have a choice to make. We must choose to focus on and think about the strong points. Everyone has strong points. Everyone has some weak points too. We must choose to focus on and think about the strong points in our brothers and sisters. Secondly, be willing to talk about problems and about uh, disagreements. When problems and disagreements, when those type of feelings are bottled up, they're going to come out. They're going to come out at some point. And usually when they come out after being bottled up, they often don't come out well. They often come out in the way that we wish we could have taken it back and done it another way. So be willing to talk about problems and disagreements. Thirdly then, thinking about how true love functions as a team member. Accept the place that God has for you. In a congregation, we have different roles. We have different gifts, different talents. Accept the place that God has for you. We're not all preachers. We're not all teachers. We can't all clean toilets. (laughs) Whatever. We're different. Okay? Except what God has for you. You know, jealousy, I say, has destroyed many a friendship, and jealousy has destroyed many a church over the years as well. But realize that every job in the work of the church is important. Your job is important. Her job, his job, they're important jobs. Let's function as team members. Fourthly, then, another key to abounding in love in our church that I find here in Romans chapter 12 is that true love accepts those who oppose you. True love accepts those who oppose you. Uh, Note verse 14. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Uh, Verse 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, it's not hard to love someone who treats you real kindly. No, those those kind of people are easy to love. But what about someone who gossips about you? What about someone who you feel has betrayed your trust? What about someone who you feel threatened by? How do you find loving them? You know, Jesus brought in a new way, a completely new way of loving. Back there in Matthew chapter 5, we read about that where he said, It hath been said, it hath been said, it hath been said, but then time and time again he says, But I say unto you, do it this way. This used to be the way it was done, but I'm upping the ante. Do it this way. Do it this way. And he taught us a love that extends an open hand of fellowship. Even when our flesh is is crying for that fist. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, (laughs) we've had moments like that. When our flesh was crying for a fist, and yet Jesus is saying, Brother, sister, open your hand of fellowship to them. True love accepts those who oppose you. Jesus showed us by example the rewards of such choices. Another key to abounding in love in our church is we are called to be peacemakers. Verse 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And you know, sometimes that may mean uh, working behind the scenes. In the church. In order to keep peace. Working behind the scenes. In order to keep peace. Number six then. Another key is to. Is the fact that love never retaliates. No that's not the fact. (laughs) That's a goal. That's a directive. Love never retaliates. Look at verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. No, wait, I said that's not a fact. That is a fact. Love doesn't retaliate. I was was getting confused with my fleshly feelings. (laughs) Yes, sometimes I retaliate. But no, true love does not retaliate. That's right. Verse 17, recompense to no man, evil for evil. Verse 19, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. but rather give place unto wrath. Give place unto wrath. In other words, let God deal with it. Let it go. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. True love never seeks to get even. True love never demands the last word. True true love never seeks to set the record straight. Instead, it pours on more love. In fact, Jesus said that true love goes the second mile. Once again, Jesus is our perfect example. In 1 Peter 2.23 we read, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But he did just what Paul writes about here. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Let God deal with it. But you must not retaliate. True love never retaliates. Another key to abounding in love in our church is true love has a servant heart. Note verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, I think in that verse, I think perhaps too many of us Mennonites uh, have taken that to actually mean our jobs, our businesses. That's actually not what the word is, is speaking about there. And so uh, many of us have, well, we have, have given ourselves to our businesses, to our jobs, to our careers at the expense of what is truly more important. Paul writes here, never be lacking in zeal. Another way to say it. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. In other words, in your way of life, don't be slothful. Don't be lazy, but always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Put Him first. And verse 13 speaks about this as well. Distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. You know, true love for our brothers and sisters will express itself through cheerful service. And maybe some of you feel like, well, I don't have much to offer anymore. I'm older. Or maybe you say, I'm too young. Or, I'm not able to do this or that. I don't have much to offer. But the truth is, as long as there is life, there are opportunities to be actively serving the Lord. I think of my grandma, uh, Beulah, who passed away. Uh, But... Grandma went through some of that feeling in her last few years. What can I do? I'm not really able to do anything anymore. And yet, she could write. She encouraged many people through her writing. And she could cut out blocks to make quilts. She could do that. And no doubt that has warmed many a person since then. Yes, there are things that we can do. But... Whether it's in visible ways or behind the scenes, true love will always be actively serving. And one more key then to abounding in love in our church is that true love confronts wrongdoing. True love confronts wrongdoing. Look at verse 9, and the latter part says, Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. And truly that doesn't speak just about In your own personal life. But remember. We're brothers and sisters. We're one body. We live together. We work together. We worship together. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. And I confess. This is an area of of church life. That is not very pleasant at all. And it's rarely convenient. It's rarely convenient. To go admonish a brother or sister. It never feels good. Ever. And yet, I believe it is very important uh, in the life of a healthy congregation. Dear people, God hates sin. And God does not overlook sin. And neither shall we. God does not overlook sin. Uh, you've heard it before. One bad apple can spoil the whole basket. Well, in the similar way, I would say that the sin of a brother or sister in the congregation has the potential to destroy the power and the testimony and the reputation of the congregation as a whole. There are consequences there that all deal with when there is sin within the camp. Uh, You can remember the story of Achan back in the book of Joshua. Remember the story of Achan where Achan stole some things from Jericho, was told not to do it, He stole some things, thinking that this is just my own little secret. No one will know. Did anyone see him? Probably not. Uh, God did. God saw him. He thought this was just his own little thing. But think again. And as a result of that, the Israelites went to fight the little, easy city of Ai, Ai. And they experienced an embarrassing defeat where 30-something strong men were killed. Yeah, the whole group suffered greatly for that. And then it was found out. It sure was. But true love for others includes a sincere concern for their spiritual condition. And as members of the same body, we are responsible to care for each other When we see spiritual needs among us, we ought not turn a blind eye. But for the good of our brothers and sisters, for the good of our congregation, for the glory of God, we ought to lovingly confront wrongdoing when we see it. And yes, how does true love confront wrongdoing? Well, it confronts it lovingly. As the Apostle Paul wrote, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. In Galatians 6 verse 1 we read this. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such in one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. There it is. How does true love confront wrongdoing? Well, in a spirit of meekness. Considering yourself lovingly. Brothers and sisters, when you individually make a special effort to put these points into practice in your life, I say it indicates that there is a love for God that is alive and well within you. It shows that God is working and you are listening and you are responding. There is a desire to grow. There is a desire to increase and abound in love. When you are putting special effort into that. And then when we all join together. As a collective body of believers. We can help create a beautiful atmosphere. Where love lives. And love abounds. And that is is just my heart. For us here at Ebenezer. That we would take uh, these scriptural points. uh, Personally. And say yes I need to work on this. Not just for your personal good. And not only for the good of the brotherhood, but ultimately for the glory of God. And then that speaks volumes. As I noted earlier, that is the loudest testimony then to a watching world. How we relate to one another. Well, let's take a few minutes yet uh, to think about the need of abounding in love in our community. Abounding in love in our community. Now, Community, as I'm using it this morning, I'm using this word to define a wide spectrum of interaction and influence that each of us has, and some more than others. Uh, It's people that many of us would rub shoulders with on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Maybe not every day, but but regularly we rub shoulders with these people, some daily. Many of these might be local people. Uh, Some might be ones that live... Many miles away. And yet they are a part of our circle of friends, you could say. Acquaintances. Those that we relate to. That's who I'm calling community. Abounding in love in our community. So each one of you sort of has your community, you could say. Those that you interact with. So let's think about some of these. Just think about this. Abounding in love. Among these various groups of people, these various acquaintances, these interactions. Think about our neighbors. uh, Those who live, you could say, right close around us. Close by us, our neighbors. Think also about our friends. Uh, It could be acquaintances in town. Or it could be uh, friends and acquaintances in other areas that we relate to from time to time. Think about our business or where we're employed. Uh, Think about your boss. Think about your employees. Think about your coworkers. Think about the customers. Think about your business dealings with other businessmen or or so forth. Is love abounding? Is love evident in how you do business and how you relate to those uh, in your care? When customers think of your business, what do they think about? Do they think of honesty? Do they think of integrity? What do they think about? Uh, Think about people in town. You could say uh, people that we meet or, or interact with when we go to the grocery store. Or when we go to the doctor's office. Or when we go to the tire shop. Or the list could go on and on. Those kind of people... And many of us relate to people like that on a regular basis. You ladies in town, when you go to the store or so forth, uh, you you are interacting with people. Now, it might be very briefly, but people are seeing you. You're seeing people, an influence is being left. People are seeing. People are taking notice. What are they seeing? What are they noticing about you? I think about on the road. We do a lot of driving. Many people observe our driving, and we observe other people's driving. (laughs) But when people see us drive, what do they think about? Uh, Do our driving habits, or does our driving etiquette, does it make people think, wow, that's a blessing? (laughs) Wow, that's so refreshing. Or does it make them complain, or curse, or... What does it make them do? When we're driving, do we give others the benefit of the doubt? Oh, they didn't mean to cut me off, or do we? Oh, I'm gonna, you know, what? Well, how does it? How do we respond to those things? There's many times when someone has to go first in a certain situation when you're driving, whether you're at a traffic light or a four-way stop or something. Someone has to go first. Who's gonna go first? Well, what? Are you known as the one that always goes first? <laughs> Things like that. We're talking just practical things here, brothers and sisters. Uh, what are we known by? What are we known by? Uh, think even about our presence on social media. Social media. You know, people will make assumptions about who you are, what kind of a person you are, uh, by the posts that they see. They may not know you that well. And some may know you very well. But you are, you are leaving a presence you are, you are leaving an influence. You are leaving an example uh, by your presence on social media. Is it one that speaks of love and goodwill? Is it one that honors the Lord? Or is it one that makes people kind of go, ay, 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 ay. <laughs> what is it? Something that we all must think about. Uh, and one more here I'll just mention is is Our enemies. Jesus said that we ought to love our enemies. Now maybe we think we don't have many enemies. And I trust we don't. But Jesus said that those who live righteously will always suffer per- persecution. Uh, we will, if we live right, there will always be tensions. There will always be uh, those around us who do not appreciate everything we had to say. Just like King Herod didn't appreciate everything that John the Baptist had to say. And there's many other illustrations of that. But... In life, if we're living right, we may cause some some heat among those. Enemies, perhaps those who have wronged us in some way. Perhaps those who haven't paid their bill that is way overdue. You could sort of call that an enemy. At least it has that potential. How do we respond to them? How do we relate to them? What do we do with all of that? Uh, What about the the neighbor boy who shoots your puppy dog. You know, how do you relate to that little boy? <laughs> what do you do? Uh, you know, you could consider that an enemy, perhaps. And, and the list could go on and on. There's various examples, and illustrations, of, of how that Jesus calls us then to respond differently than the norm. We are to love them. We are to care for them. I ask us, what kind of testimony are we leaving how would people in your community, how would they describe you if I asked them, hey, what do you know about Lucas? Well, he does garage No, no, what do you know about Lucas? <laughs> you know, that type of thing. Oh, okay. You know, when you really get down to it, that type of thing. How would people in your community describe you? Uh, what is evident to them? If you're in Romans 11 or 12 there, if you flip one page, I'd like you to note a couple verses there. Dear people, as Christians, we have an obligation to love. We have an obligation to love. Note what we read here in Romans 13, starting at verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth one another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, just love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. In other words, it goes back to what Jesus said in Matthew 22. You can list a bunch of commandments. Don't do this, and don't do this, and don't do this, and don't do this. Paul's saying, hey, look, just love them. (laughs) Just love them. That says it all. Just love them as yourself. Done. Love God and love each other. We have an obligation to love those around us. In other words, he says here, (laughs) that is what we owe. That is our outstanding debt that we owe. Those around us love. We are called to be people of compassion, uh, people that respond differently to life than the norm. And our way of life, I say, should always be challenging those around us to a better way. There's a better way. Hey, did you see that? I didn't. Wow, that's refreshing. Yeah, that's not the norm. It, that kind of a thing. Our way of life should be challenging people to a better way of life. You don't have to do it that way. You don't have to be that way. Be this way through the power of God. You know, throughout our community of interaction and influence, it should be obvious that the very heartbeat of Jesus Christ is thumping within us. That should be obvious. That should be evident that that person is different because of Jesus Christ. And as I reflect on this personally for myself, uh, one question comes to my mind. It's, it's, It's very convicting to me. And that question is, how do I view the people around me? How do I view the people around me? Do I even see them? Do I even care about them? And along with that comes the question, what am I here for? What is my purpose in life after all? Why are we here? We must learn to see people through the eyes of God. No, that's not just another person. That's a soul for which Jesus died. Seeing people through the eyes of God. With compassion. Turn to Matthew chapter 9 for a couple verses here. Matthew chapter 9 such a beautiful example that Jesus gave us. And Jesus was such a busy person. You might be thinking, yeah, I'm so busy. I mean, yeah, I'd liked, yeah, I want to spend more time. I want to do this, I want to do that. I want to leave a testimony. Well, you're leaving one. But, you know, I want to Jesus was such a busy person, and yet look at his attitude. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. When Jesus saw the people, he was moved with compassion because there was a need. There was a need. We must see people through the eyes of God. (coughs) See past the dirt. See past the difficulties. And reach out to them in love through the eyes of faith. Because up front, a lot of those situations just don't look very workable. They look hopeless, and yet we are called to reach out. Let me just say that true love in our community doesn't happen without intentionality, it's not natural. To reach out. It's not natural to to just go around to all your neighbors and and speak to them about the Lord and those interactions in town and through business. That's not natural. You must be intentional about it. And let me just say, I was blessed. I was just so blessed earlier this week when a brother uh, responded to me in relation to uh, the proposal that the ministry gave about the change in church schedule. And he said that, you know... He said, me and my wife have talked about it, and if we have two extra free evenings coming up, we want to be intentional about that time. We want to use it wisely. We want to use it uh, to do some visiting, things like that. That just blessed my heart. Dear people, that's what it's all about. And yet sometimes we grow weary. God help us in these areas. As I bring this to a close, let me just say that love will be seen in a person's life. Love will be seen. Love is seen in your life. Everyone has a passion. You cannot hide what you what you truly care about. You cannot You cannot hide what you truly care about. Someone has said, what we love, we grow to resemble. That's a sobering thought. What we love, we grow to resemble. So I just simply ask you, what is your life revealing? What is important to you? What is obvious about your life? This was... Paul's prayer to the church at Thessalonica, it's my prayer for you this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the last two verses. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love, one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints." That's my prayer for all of us. Hearts and lives that increase and abound in the love of God. Now I would like to invite my family up here uh, to sing a song that we have been working on. sort of been the theme song in our home for the last few weeks. Um, at least those of you who are able, uh, come on up here and we'll sing a song that I feel like sort of uh, puts a cap on this thing of abounding in love in our lives
1: it only takes a spark to get a fire going and soon all those around can warm up in its glowing that's how it is with god's love once you've experienced it you spread his love to everyone You want to pass it on. What a wondrous time is spring when all the trees are budding, the birds begin to sing, the flowers start their blooming. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it. You want to sing, it's fresh like spring, you want to pass it on. I wish for you, my friend, this happiness that I found. You can depend on him, it matters not where you're bound. I'll shout it from the mountain top. I want my world to know, the Lord of love has come to me, I want to pass it on.